of merit. The chant that we do every evening, Imina Punya, this, this is uh, sharing the blessings of our lives with all beings. And this, of course, we're relating it in a practical way, not just as a sentimental prayer or a perfunctory chant that we do. But like everything we do, it can be done just as a habit, create a habit with it, or it can be a reminder, a remembrance, uh, an inspiration, something to encourage us. As I've said many times, uh, the human mind is this way, we have memory, we can remember, so we can forget. We forget and then we remember. So mindfulness is also the ability to remember, to recollect, recollect Dhamma. When we're mindful, when, we're, when there's sati, then we are bringing into our awareness, conscious experience of the way it is. remembering because it's easy to forget to forget how it really is <clears throat> and just be caught up in our own uh, emotional traumas and reactions and habitual tendencies <clears throat> so the refuges in Buddha Dhamma Sangha this is the way it is these are not sentimental refuges either bringing them in to, to to use them in practical experience here and now. So punya, this idea of punya or merit or blessings or what is gracious and loving and generous and kind and all these things are blessings of our lives. The sila, the, the fact we're keeping the, the sila or the moral precepts, uh, the the dana, uh, the generosity, the, the, the selflessness, the right intention we make to realize the truth, and any realizations we have, any good, goodness, selfless actions, and the blessing of our life as samanas, may this be of benefit to all sentient beings. Our, we reflect on our parents, our upachaya, our acharyas, Ajans, uh, uh, all possibilities from those we know, those who have, who have uh, given us and, and have been kind to us, uh, to those, uh, all, to all possibilities of, from, uh, you know, the most uh, vicious and horrendous sentient beings to the most saintly. This is a way, if done in the right way, it opens the heart up to, to we're, not, we're not shutting out anything, we're not picking and choosing. A closed-off heart is a heart that, that uh, will only allow this much and the rest it want, doesn't want to know. Or wants to punish and destroy those, those sentient beings which are wicked and nasty and, and wants to hang on or hold on to uh, the good or the ones that we, we prefer. Where the, the pure heart of compassion, metta karuna, is, is, is non-discriminative heart. 
no, all friends, all enemies, all possible beings, the intelligent, stupid, the, the bright, the dull, the, the, the angels in the heavens to the devils in the, in the hell realms, all forms of hungry ghosts, demented, demonic, tormented creatures, uh, are uh, all animals, all insects, birds, fish, fowl, and uh, mammals and reptiles, the whole lot. Mosquitoes, flies, creeping and crawling things, to monks and nuns, and anagarikas and anagarikas, and lay people, those close and those far away, those we know, those we don't know. Now this, this is an example of the grandeur of the human heart. The human heart, one human being's heart is the whole universe. If we open it, if we close it off, then it's just our own little selfish fears and desires that bind us, make us uh, like heavy chains around us. Fetters and hindrances and <coughs> obstacles and all these oppress our heart. We have heavy-heartedness. Any form of selfishness is creates this sense of oppression in our minds. Me first is the most oppressive attitude one can have. You might think uh, a tyrant, external tyrant, is, is your real enemy, but actually it's, it's a selfishness. Me first, what I want, is, is, the, is the most awful tyrant, that which oppresses our heart. Because they're not can, one cannot have a joyous life with selfishness. Joy, joy is impossible. Selfishness precludes joy. So a joyless life is a selfish life. It's a life that we, and selfishness, we, we have to really know what it is because we, oftentimes, idealize. We have an idea of not being selfish, but we don't even know what selfishness really is. We have maybe uh, kindergarten definitions of it, like we can say, like we're told by our parents that selfishness is is not doing what our parents want us to do. And then sometimes we have those images. They say, you're just being selfish, sonny boy, because you, don't, you won't do what I want you to do. And so we, we grow up with ideas that we should do what other people want us to do, or we should just be kind of, kind of, kind of amorphous mass of giving and kind of, uh, of ideal, idealized giving. Uh, because we don't know who we really are, what our what self is, and what unselfishness is. Before you can realize unselfishness, you have to really know what selfishness is, not condemn it as a, a from some ideal uh, idealistic perspective. Perspective, and you shouldn't be selfish. I shouldn't be selfish. Is is one attitude, 
from, from an ideal. But if you don't know what selfishness is, then you, you just get confused by your idealism. So in meditation, we're, we're really looking, not judging, observing, reflecting, knowing selfishness as that. And even, the, uh, even that innocence says you shouldn't be selfish can be selfish. Isn't it? The inner tyrant that says, oh, you're being selfish. You shouldn't be selfish. You're always thinking of yourself first. That can be selfish. So just because it says it's not selfish doesn't mean that it isn't selfishness. This is where it takes wisdom, uh, the ability to observe and recognize things for what they are not just go by the labels that appear, the names and the perceptions that we have of ourselves and others, because those, those are based on, on maybe on many false attitudes and delusions of the mind. I like to listen to my selfishness. Things are, Given examples of how to, to if you're going to, if you if you want to understand selfish, try to be as selfish as you can. Deliberately be, totally and utterly selfish. Me first. I want. I don't want. I don't feel like it. I don't want to have to do that. I don't. Uh, and uh, I want the best. And I want this and I want that and I don't like this and I don't like that and then we can go on and on so you actually say if you if to understand selfishness then you rather than take a, a kind of abstract stand against it really be selfish just to see what it's like observe it witness it study it investigate it not condemn it but understand it and the result of it. What is the result of selfish thoughts and feelings? Is it a good result? Do you feel happy, lightened, liberated by selfishness? Or do you feel oppressed by it? In my experiments with it is I always feel oppressed by my selfishness. I don't know, maybe you won't. You find out. Maybe you'll find you're uplifted by being selfish. That's for you to find out. And don't believe what I say. Selfishness is always this, this identity with the conditioned realm. The body, the feelings, the, the perceptions, volition and consciousness the five tandas, when one is blindly identified, attached to these mortal conditions, these five groups, that's what I call selfishness. Blind, unquestioned identity and attachment to the five aggregates, the five tandas.
Now, the inner tyrant, though, can condemn us for being selfish, because we all have that from our childhood, your mother and daddy and, and uh, everyone else. And don't be selfish. You're selfish. You shouldn't be selfish. In school, uh, teachers would say, oh, you're selfish. You shouldn't be selfish. You go to church and sell. You shouldn't be selfish. So you should share things. You should think of others. Think of mommy. Think of daddy. Think of the teachers. Think of your friends. Think of the neighbors. But you shouldn't think of yourself. So that one is caught up with it, with maybe an idealized sense of of not being selfish, which means to to try to please your parents or the teachers, or your friends all the time. <laughs> but if all we do with our lives is try to please others without understanding selfishness, then we, we're going to feel oppressed by it, because our life just spent trying to, to please others through, from this rather immature attitude of, of, uh, of a self, always leads to a sense of, of despair and anguish because it's based on delusion, on habit, on, on the mortal conditions. It can only take us to that feeling of disappointment. Then we think other people shouldn't be selfish and we're always being disappointed by other people's selfishness. I think we, we've given so much and yet people don't after all I've done for you, worked my fingers to the bone to provide for you, take care of you, sacrifice all these years, and what do I get? A slap in the face. They're called the Jewish mother complaint. Worked in slave, sacrificed, worked my fingers to the bone for you, and and all you do is think of yourself. You don't, you don't do anything for me. And so that's selfish too, isn't it? To work and slave for somebody else, expecting them to be grateful, is another form of selfishness. And if I, I'm always going to be uh, disappointed by my life if, if I... Here I am, Buddhist monk, uh, trying to teach, help, and guide mankind towards the Dhamma and, and sacrificing this and sacrificing that. And then all you do is want to disrobe or you complain about the cold. And, uh, I'm fed up. I'm going off to, not to Tahiti, <laughs> but to a cave in the Himalayas. where I can get some peace and not be bothered with all these selfish people. Mm. <laughs> I have those kind of feelings sometimes and certainly understand them. When you feel, you know, oh, I really worked hard and uh, the kind of inner uh, Jewish mother, or the, or the um, complaining, whining, demanding tyrants within me. 
I mean, I certainly have have uh, suffered the, the despair and misery from those conditions, but I know them for what they are. I know that it's merely a condition of the mind. It's nothing more than that. It's not a. It's 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 a habit. It's a it's a human habit. It's certainly understandable, and it just needs to be recognized for what it is. It needn't be despised or resented, but just acknowledged. The I know you, Mara. The Buddha seeing the, the Dhamma. I know you. I know what you are. Rather than the, the confused, convoluted, uh, emotional reactions we can have to these things, like feeling we shouldn't have such thoughts, and then feeling we shouldn't feel we shouldn't. And it gets very complicated uh, on, the, on the level of thought and perception. So, in blessing all beings, we're blessing all the possible beings that we experience in our minds. I've always liked to contemplate the, the Buddhist cosmology as just the story of one's own heart and mind. From the uh, radiant Brahmas to, down to the most, uh, or to the, to, the, to the ultimate refinement of consciousness of Neva sanya nasanya yatana, uh, or the neither perception nor non-perception. Very refined, peaceful state to the most horrific of each hell, unmitigated misery and anger forever. Of each hell is is the ultimate misery, and neva sanya nasanya yatana is the neither perception nor non the most possible, the most refined possibility of consciousness, conscious experience. And then all those, those realms in between, the, the human realm in the middle to the, to the, the, uh, the devas on one uh, up above and the, and the animals, pretas and, and hell spirits below, the, the different deva realms and brahma realms and the arupa jhanas. That whole range from that whole range is the, are the mental, emotional states of one human being. I mean, one can contemplate them as uh, in, in the more kind of Superstitious way as actually existing states in, in in the cosmos, you know, where there's a Avicii hell somewhere, and there's a there's a Dawadingsa heaven, and then there's a and that's somewhere up there, and then there's the Preta realm somewhere out there, and and the animal realm is quite easy to deal with, and you can see them, and you can pet them, touch them. Venerable Bodhinanda and I were discussing the, the merits and beauty of Swiss cows. Uh, Swiss have the nicest cows I've ever met. And they really love their cows. He said, Bodhinanda said, yeah, sometimes they love their cows more than their families. Like English with their cats, 
and dogs, isn't it? Easier to love a cat than another than sometimes your own child. Certainly, I find I mean, most of you find loving Mooney a lot easier than loving each other, don't you? But now we're taking the concept of all sentient beings and seeing that as not so much in as an external sentient being, as the sentient beings that we experience in our minds. Just the loves, the hates, the highs, the lows, the the boredom, the dreariness, the the pretas and the animals and the devils and demons and the devas and brahmas. Uh, that we experience in, in our mind. How do you know what a Brahma is? Is there a Brahma realm? Arjun Samaj, do you believe in the Brahma realms? I don't like to think in those terms of believing in Brahma realms because Brahma is, means a, a pure radiance from purity. So when there is a sense of purity and selflessness, then there's also a radiance. I consider that my 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 meeting with Brahma is is not a, a kind of meeting of some kind of super being in outer space that suddenly comes to me, but the actual recognition of the of that pure mindedness of metta karuna mudita upeka when when the self uh, the sense of my uh, fears and desires have vanished and there's a momentary uh, meeting with these these radiant uh, mental states. And in the sharing of merit, in uh, then this this helps us to to put ourselves in perspective to all possibilities in the universal system that we're engaged in. That they we, with this one creature here, this being here, Tomato Bhikkhu, one, one human individual, one human being sitting here, relating to all possibilities in a, in, a, in a vast and mysterious universal system. What is my relationship to that total mystery and that uh, infinity, that infinite universe? that one intuits. How, how do I relate to that? From a selfish position, I, it just boggles my mind. As a self, as me, as a personality, me as a, a man, me as a bhikkhu, me as an individual creature, it just blows my mind. I think, oh, I can't think of it, you know, all those beings out there, and. And, and how, how, are there Martians? Are there Venetians? Are there uh, Jupiterians? Are there Uranians? And, and there's vast universal systems beyond this one, and because uh, absolutely blows my mind out. Can't deal with it on a personal level. This kind of vague abstractions of of and possibilities of sentient beings being somewhere out there.
But how to relate to that in a practical way, all possibilities, all sentient beings, both from the experience within your own individual, within your individual experience, and all possibilities of creatures living uh, at this moment that you can't possibly experience or know individually or as this or that. Well, one thing we can actually uh, trust in the fact that good action, good speech, or even just the refraining from wrong action or wrong speech at this moment is for the benefit of all sentient beings. That's what I can do within this seemingly very limited uh, state that I'm in as an individual creature. Ask yourself, what can, what, can, what can I do for the welfare of all sentient beings at this moment? All possibilities is to do good and refrain from doing bad. So even the ref restraint, refraining from doing something bad at this moment is for the benefit of all sentient beings. And to me, that makes sense. That seems I can actually see that 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 if that if all these individual creatures at this time, and say all the human human creatures on planet Earth at this moment, refrain from doing an evil act with bodily bodily action. Imagine what that would be like. The Gulf War would stop for a moment. And like, uh, I mean, for one moment, that'd be every day. If, if I mean, this is a just a, yeah, I know an uh, exaggerated theory, but contemplate just if, if we had the power. You know, we each one of us has that power to refrain from acting, doing, or speaking on, on some kind of evil impulse, unkind, or mean-heartedness. at this moment. That's for the welfare of all sentient beings. Then good actions, doing good, and, and it's like keeping the, the sila, the five precepts, or the eight precepts, or the ten precepts, or the padimokha training, all this is, is just by determining in one's life to live under that restraint is definitely for the welfare of all sentient beings. How could it be otherwise? Is it just for me to control my voracious appetites and to try to keep myself in line and just try to hold on to the sealer to keep myself from just going berserk? And all those wonderful, tantalizing things, evil things one could be doing at this moment. My God, just think of, we could be getting soused. We could be drinking booze. We could be smoking pot. We could be taking heroin and cocaine. We could go on, a, on an, a sex orgy. We could do all kinds of wonderful things. Absolutely have a good time, you know. And, and here we are sitting here trying to hold ourselves back from all those wonderful things that we, one could have so much fun doing. Or is that really painful, all that stuff? 
to me it, it just looks like a, a kind of hell realm. Having to do that, to get drunk, to drink liquor and take drugs and to, to just have a kind of, just seek sexual excitement as a kind of endless demanding pleasure from it and exploiting other people to just satisfy my own kind of neurotic desires and 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 it's just creeping about trying to seek some form of excitement to me is just utter hell I can't see anything attractive in it I'm so grateful that I I'm not doing that because that's not for the welfare of all sentient beings is it usually we do that for me you know, I want, I want some pleasure right now. I want some, I want to get high right now. I want to have a little fun right now. I want some kind of sensual satisfaction right now. Me, I don't care about you. I don't care about you at all. As long as I get what I want right now, that's all I care about. That is mean-heartedness, isn't it? That's painful. That is a, a hell realm of the, of the human heart. You, you drop down into the lower depths, the Abhayapumi states, by following that kind of, uh, those kind of thoughts with actions and speech. And that's for the misery of all sentient beings. I like to think that if I should act on those impulses, that that would be for, to make everyone else increasingly miserable. That's how I see it. If I, if I should start acting like that, it's, it's for the misery of, of you all, just to make, to give you more misery and delusions to deal with, to increase the confusion, uh, to increase the hatred and anger in the world, to increase the stupidity and lust and greed uh, in this universal system. And I'm contributing everything I have to it for the unmitigated misery of all sentient beings forevermore. That's a reflection. I mean, I don't think anyone is that malicious to do it intentionally to make everyone miserable. But I'd like to consider that, that when I do act in that way, it is increasing the misery in, this, in the universal system I'm, I'm very much involved with. So when I think like that, when I reflect in this way, then I, I really, my, the goodness uh, in me wants to really, longs to, aspires to live in a way in which I am not causing increasing distress and misery and confusion to any creature whatsoever. The goodness in me aspires to that. There's something in me that aspires very much, that longs to be that kind of being in the universe which does not cause any delusion to anyone else or cause any form of dis unnecessary distress or intentional misery or confusion to any other creatures, human or whatever. To me, when I think like this, I think that's the way I'd really like to be. That's, that's what I aspire to, to be, to live my life within the, 
the karma of this form, this human form, this body here, to use this, this formation so that its existence for the remainder of its lifespan is for the benefit and welfare of all sentient beings. So I make that my intention. I consciously choose that as my intention. This is, this is my intention for my life, for the remainder of, of the life of this, of this human body, that it may only be a benefit, that what it does, what it says, its very presence, the air that it breathes, the food that it consumes, everything that is involved in its maintenance and survival, may it May and may the actions and speech that come from this form be a benefit, be a blessing to all sentient beings, seen, unseen, born or unborn, and all possibilities. So that's a kind of a, an amazing thing to be able to determine in one's life, isn't it? To me, that is a, I think that is wonderful to be able to even conceive of that in my mind, that I could actually aspire and even want that as, as my intention. So the fact that I can actually think that and conceive that possibility that this one seemingly insignificant little creature sitting here on this high seat, this one little creature sitting here, I know you don't think of me as little, but in contrast to the universal system, I'm only a That this one little creature can think such a magnificent, utterly beautiful thought and make that the intention for his life. Well then, that, then, then how do I live, how do I put that into practice? It isn't good to just sit here thinking up these noble thoughts and ideals and then to walk out of the room and be selfish and stupid and and uh, just get carried away with one's greed, hatred, and delusion. But it doesn't do any good to go and, and hate ourselves for not being able to, to become this totally magnificent creature all at once. So we, we learn how to be patient and how to understand, how to look at, investigate Dhamma, how to realize truth within the microcosm or the little ways and, and, and trivialities and ordinariness of our daily life and our experience of life as an individual creature. I'm not expecting rewards, uh, kind of Nobel Prizes and, and accolades uh, from the people in, in the in the positions of authority for thinking such grand thoughts. Not what I'm doing it for, but to, to be able to take that intent, to realize the, the kind of miracle of our human state, 
and then to learn how to live in a, in a very careful, caring, compassionate way in daily life, both towards this being that I call myself and towards you as individual members of this community, towards all of you, individual bhikkhus, siladras, and anagarikas, uh, lay people, and onward through the, through the, the society, through, the, through planet Earth. And I realized just by refraining from acting on selfish impulses, that is for your benefit. So I learned how to restrain myself, refrain from things. Well, that's for the welfare of all sentient beings, too. It's not just for me, just to try to, to, to get my practice together and keep myself from doing any bad karma, because I'll suffer for it. It's also for the welfare of all beings. So it, one feels connected to, to the whole universe. Even in our non-action, not even in the silence of our mind and non-action with our bodies is for the benefit of all sentient beings. Not to mention the, the active side, what we do, what we say, how we live our lives in, this, in the community and the society we live in. In the Eightfold Path, the, the uh, Samma Vaja Sama Achivo Sama Kamanto Sama Achivo. These are right speech, right action, right livelihood. It's for the welfare of all beings. Not just for me, just so I can realize Nibbana and get out of this horrible realm of suffering. Then goodbye, cruel world. I've got, I've got mine. I've got mine, Jack. <laughs> Punya then is the is the Pali word for what they translate usually merit or blessings. Boon is the Thai word. Boon is the Thai corruption of punya. And so the tambun to make merit, tambun or to to make punya. This is a, in a in a Buddhist country like Thailand the tambun is, is a very um, you know uh, is an ideal that, that that permeates the whole society. The idea of, as you know all of us here, so much of the of this monastery is is due to the tamboon of Thai Buddhists. Because the Thai Buddhists are love to tamboon, to make merit, to share blessings. This is very very much a uh, a theme and an attitude within the when the when that permeates all of of uh, almost all Buddhist uh, communities, this idea of to make merit. 
sometimes, uh, with many, it's still on a primitive level of make merit so that I'll be reborn in a better state. That's one way of doing it. I'm going to make merit so that when I uh, die, I'll be born as a Devada. In Thailand, many Thais think like that. And you see, you hear that a woman who gives alms food to the monks every day will be reborn as a great beauty in the next life. So you go out and about in the morning and all the ugly women are out there. <laughs> <laughs> as well as the beautiful one. The idea is that, that maybe you were born uh, unattractive or ugly because you didn't tamboon in a previous life. And it's kind of, well this is getting into selfish, uh, selfishness again, isn't it? I'm going to make merit so that I will be absolutely glamorous and dazzling in the next life. As most of us aren't, don't really care about that. But then the, the ultimate tambun, tambun is, is to do good for the welfare of all sentient beings because that, that's its own reward, isn't it? Without thinking of what I'm going to get in return. To tambun in order, because that's, that is su such a beautiful thing to do as an end in itself because it benefits all sentient beings. And, it, and it's a joyous experience when there's no selfish uh, expectation or any reward or anything in return. When you, when you contemplate this, you see, to tamboon in order to be reborn as a devada in the next life, there's still uh, something missing in that. There's joy is not, you don't get the full benefit of that punya because you're still selfish interest and expectation and demand from it. And that in itself is joyless. There's still an aspect of joylessness because selfishness cannot be joyful. You cannot, selfishness cannot bring joy. So maybe there's a moment of joy when you're actually giving something, dropping the rice into the alms bowl. There might be a moment of joy but then it it can be corrupted immediately by the selfish wish, may I be reborn in the next life in a better state. With the practice, say, of, of our life, to live our lives not for any kind of personal gain. Like in the meditation, as I say, my condemnation and constant attack on the vipassanini. I know I'm going to pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I know you'll go back to Barry, Massachusetts and say Ajahn Sumedho's condemned all vipassaninis. And uh, they'll never invite me back again. Good enough. <laughs> uh, 
But this is this is not uh, uh, is not meant to be a, a condemnation, but a reflection. So, to point to the vipassanini as uh, as the people who practice vipassana for getting something for themselves. That's the that's what I define a vipassanini takes vipassana and uses it for some kind of selfish end. Because vipassana is, a, you know, a, 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 something that even kind of stripped of its context, in, in especially in the States, it's, it's regarded almost as a cult uh, or a separate thing from, from doing vipassana, even for selfish reasons. So any any kind of discipline, and where you where you have to contain yourself, will be a benefit to you, in some ways or some aspects that are beneficial. So it's it's not a, a a condemnation of it, but a reflection on the of the incompleteness of that attitude. That that the the. Uh, that the Buddha Dhamma is a transcendent realization, and it's it's for total and complete liberation from ignorance. It's not just for me to get myself together so I can live my life in a more kind of less stressful way and deal with my uh, relationships and this in a better way and and live a happier life. It is. For me, the, the, the whole life of, uh, of a Buddhist monk is for this complete and utter realization of truth, transcending the, the mortal state, getting beyond uh, all the conditioned realm, not by rejecting it, but by understanding it. And living within this conditioned realm as a condition for the welfare of all beings. May this conditioned being here, this creature, this sankhara, may its actions and speech, how it's used, how it relates, how it lives, may its very breathing and, and the use of the food and the, uh, the four requisites that, that the lay people provide, may all of this be a benefit to all sentient beings. So that is the, uh, a very grand and very noble intention. But if you're making intentions, then make them the very best intentions. Don't make half-hearted ones. Because we can. We can make, we can intend, make intentions, and we can, and from the very, uh, and make them the very best. But not look at it as a personal kind of uh, uh, ordeal that we have to achieve this as a person. The way of realizing this, this perfect intention is by letting go of selfish interests. And by letting go of selfish interests and selfish actions, we, we must understand selfishness. So we're willing to look at ourselves, look at our attachment, look at our 
fears. No fear is fear. No desire is desire. No greed is greed. No hatred is hatred. So when fear arises in your mind, you feel fear in your guts, then you reflect, fear is this way. Fear feels like this. Rather than, I shouldn't be frightened, or how can I get rid of this fear? Look at it. Really, when, what does it feel like? Try to, try to go to the fear, the feeling, the physical gut level of feeling, just to, to, to know it for what it is. Fear or, or uh, anger or hatred. Hot anger. What does it feel like when you turn red in the face with anger? or cold, white hatred, where you just turn livid with, with hatred and aversion to something. What does that feel like to really hate somebody or hate yourself? What is it as a physical feeling? Red-hot anger, wanting to kill somebody, seek revenge or hurt some, somebody or something? What does it feel like? Greed and lust, what does it, what does it feel like? What is the physical uh, experience of lust? Not, not uh, thinking of it in, as, uh, uh, say, through, through uh, fearing, fearing the possibilities of, of acting on lustful feelings, but what is the physical feeling, the Vedana, when you have lust in your mind? To know it, to, to let go of just following or through indulgence or suppressing by looking at the very uh, feeling of it that you have. Because remember, this body is a very, is a feeling condition. It's a, it's sensitivity itself. This is the sense realm, sentient beings. Sense means uh, feeling, doesn't it? To be able to, to feel, to be attracted and repelled, to feel things. Feeling also, it, it can be seen in, 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 through the eyes. It doesn't mean your eyes, whether they feel uh, good or, or they pain, feel painful, but what you see, whether it, uh, whether you're attracted or repelled by it or indifferent, is feeling, is Vedana. It isn't just a bodily feeling or gut-level feeling, but feeling is this, this whole realm of attraction, aversion, pleasure and pain. Vedana, Kanda. Now, it's easy to understand the, the theory behind this, but to put it into practice, it takes patience and determination. Because usually when fear arises, the th first thing we want to do is get away. And that fear has, has this tremendous power. 
over the human heart, the human mind. Uh, fear has power as long as one reacts to it. So fear comes along and, and scares you and you run away. That means you're giving fear power. Either running away or suppressing or like pretending it's not there, looking the other direction, the, the ostrich with its head in the sand or, or kind of turning on the television or looking, uh, trying to distract yourself so you don't have to see it, is, is, or, or just running in, in panic because of fear. To say stop and look at fear, of course we can see that that's what we should do, but how do we do that? How can we really do that? So you, this is where you need to contemplate fear and, and investigate it, not just wait for, them for, uh, for it to happen, but really uh, bring up fear. What are you frightened of? What, is it, what does it feel like? So you get to know the feeling, the physical feeling, the emotional feeling of it, you, be, you, you understand it, in other words, the first noble truth, understanding of dukkha. But fears and, and desires on extreme level sometimes aren't, uh, you know, are more the rare occasion, it's the dreariness of daily life, isn't it? The ordinariness, the boredom, the restlessness, the dullness, the worry and doubt of just daily life, day after day at Amaravati, getting up in the morning and, and this and that and the problems and difficulties and ups and downs of just little things, little kind of irritations and frustrations of this and that of daily life. Most of life for a human lifespan is about this, kind of ordinary frustration and irritation and annoyance, boredom and restlessness and mental agitation, worry and, and just being dull and and uh, not, not, not caring, not putting any interest in, not showing interest, not challenging, not looking into anything, but just kind of going along with everything. It's so boring, isn't it? Life can be so utterly, utterly boring. Even an exciting life becomes boring get so bored with parties and fascinating people and, and big events and exciting situations and adventures and romances, they all become boring. They become cynical and bitter because uh, the ordinary life is just so utterly boring anyway, no matter what you're doing. If you're caught in this realm of desire, always wanting something to, to kind of zap you, stimulate you, interest you, fascinate you, inspire you, lift you up, and then 
the result of that is that you're always going to feel disappointed and despairing Now, in uh, Ajahn Chah used to talk a lot about, he used to say, uh, like the word for Thai in Thai for ordinary is tamada tamada, and he would use this word a lot just to 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 be with the ordinariness of life. Everything is just the flow of life uh, as we experience it as individual creatures. In a monastery like this, like the cold weather now, this bitter cold weather is, is uh, it's not, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It's extra cold today. It's not ordinary cold. But just say ordinary cold, ordinary life, and to, to really reflect on the ordinariness of life. Life is like this. It's neither one thing or another. It's just this way. The suchness of this moment. It's not particularly, and it's not, I'm not elated or depressed. It's this way. When my mind's neither elated on a high or it's not depressed, sunk in despair, then it's this way. It's neither high or low. It's like this. There's a realization of ordinary mind. Say there's a realization of non-greed. Right now there's no greed in, in the mind. Can't find any greed or lust in my mind right now. Non-greed, non-lust is like this. See, what, do you, what do you mean non-greed, non-lust is like this? What is it? What is it, if, if you're not greedy, you're not lost, what does it feel like? It's this way. You can do it, you can realize it. You don't have somebody to tell you. If I should pinch you, as I say, have you, a pinch feels like pain. And you, so that you, 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 you only know what somebody tells you about being pinched. Where you could pinch yourself and find out. It feels like that, doesn't it? Pinch yourself now. That's the way a pinch feels. You don't have to, me to describe it, do you? Do you want me to describe a pinch? Let's see, I'll pinch myself. <laughs> Take my forefinger and my thumb on my right hand, and I'm pinching my wrist on my left. Ouch! <laughs> Hurt. Ooh! The harder you pinch, the more it hurts. <laughs> and I expect you to believe that. Because I've told you exactly what pinching is now, so you, you know exactly what it is, because I've told you. No. Is that... Is that <laughs> or you could just experiment on yourself. Pinching feels like this. Ouch is is an expression, exclamation, but it certainly doesn't convey the actual uh, 
pinchiness of a of an experience. <laughs> Something still lacking in the direct experience, direct knowledge of pinch is not there in the in the word ouch and it hurts. So realization of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, uh, there's no point in trying to describe it because it's something that you you realize, something you you observe, just like a pinch. What a, a what a pinch feels like. You can observe non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, anatta, shunyata, niroda, viraga. These are realizations through reflective reflecting on the way it is, on Dhamma. Now if there's a realization of, of say, of, of non-grasping, then your mind will go into, now, am I really not grasping something right now? Then you're grasping the idea of non-grasping. Am I? Maybe I'm really attached to something now, but I'm just not aware of of my attachment. Maybe I'm just deluding myself because, you know, I'm a, I'm, I've got so many hang-ups and so many attachments that I just it couldn't be that simple. I mean, right now, say non-attachment feels like this. So, what does it feel like? I mean, I don't even know whether I'm attached or not right now because. I'm a attached person. I'm a person that's very attached to many things. <laughs> so you get caught in doubt, the self-view, the assumption that I am somebody who's attached to a lot of things, and then the doubt that comes from that wrong assumption, and, and you just go around and around and around and around forever until you can just observe that very doubt And attachment is, realize, understand attachment is attachment and realize non-attachment is like this. When there's non-attachment, there's the sound of silence, there's the breath, the way things are, it's like this. There's consciousness, there's uh, one who's reflecting on Dhamma, there's reflection, there's right mindfulness, right effort, right concentration, there's, things are the way they are. Now reflecting in this way, realizing truth, then is the ultimate punya, isn't it? Ultimate blessing for all sentient beings. What more kind of wonderful blessing could one possibly uh, offer all sentient beings than unselfishness or no self or or desirelessness or uh, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, the realization, the knowing of truth, of the Buddha knowing the truth, of being Sangha, of being those who practice according to the truth, who live by the truth, whose lives are dedicated to to living by the truth. That is, that is the most compassionate, most beautiful, superb offering of blessings for the welfare of all sentient beings.
in humility, then in recognizing the limitation that that we can never know whether our the goodness of our lives or what our our restraint and our sila and our practice if that's really affecting all sentient beings as a as a you know getting reports back saying yes uh, Sumato, yes uh, due to your sharing of merit last night uh, the Gulf War has uh, definitely uh, there seems to be uh, movements towards peace and reconciliation because of that wonderful meritorious offering blessing of your life and practice yes be nice if one can get confirmation of one's that, that one's uh, existence is a benefit to all <laughs> sentient beings. But that's not important. It doesn't matter uh, whether we ever know. That's not the issue. Whether we, uh, you know, whether we ever find out just how much the goodness of our life has been a blessing to others. Because this isn't something, this is none of our business. We don't need to know that. The very fact that we do it, that's enough. To be able to do that on faith, on not knowing, on faith, on, on just trust in goodness itself, and through our own uh, joy in being good, and, and, and the love of the good, the true and the beautiful, and the joy that comes from doing things and saying things in the right way for the benefit of others, of all sentient beings. This is enough. This, is, this we can know. This we can realize as individual creatures whether my, my life is of benefiting uh, all sentient beings in this moment in exactly what way doesn't, is none of my business. Because my trust and confidence lie in in the in the refuges of Buddha Dhamma Sangha and an intuitive feeling in the heart that 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 I can that this this creature here sitting here the that this living breathing consuming form is can be used in the right way can be a benefit to all sentient beings. This I trust and I have confidence that this is the way it is. That one's life is not a meaningless, purposeless, insignificant, uh, kind of cosmic accident, but that, that the meaning and purpose of our lives is through our ability to understand the truth and to be free from delusions through understanding the truth. What more, what better purpose, what more meaning can a human life have than that? So I offer this for your reflection.
Say. Hey. 